Hey guys, happy Valentine's Day. Today is February 14th, and today we are starting our new Bible study called Surrendered, Letting Go, and Living Like Jesus. This Bible study is by Barb Roos. If you have not yet got your book for this study, I encourage you to do so. It's more of a workbook, but it definitely gets us more into drawing closer to God and also into digging deeper into God's Word. So we're going to be studying several scriptures. There's a lot of information here. And so what we've decided to do is kind of break it up into 12 weeks. I know this is a six-week study, but just for the sake of time and because we're all so busy, we've decided just to break it up and do a few days each week. So the way it's going to work is like this is week number one. So week number one, you will have days. And it says in the book one, two, three, four, and five, but... Just for time's sake, we are going to do week one will be week one, days one, two, and three. So next week, we'll do week one, days four and five, and there's a video that goes along with it. So you'll notice in your workbook that there is a video questionnaire that you can fill out as you're listening or watching to the video. So there are free videos that go along with this, which I will post on our um, group page. And if anybody needs to get a hold of that link, you can message me if you can't find it. But there are free videos on her website that go along with each of these weeks that we're going to be doing. So this whole Bible study is just talking about letting go of things we can't control. And I know with COVID and everything going on, it feels like there's a lot that's out of our control right now. So with that being said, I hope you all will join us each week. If you can't do our live Zoom meetings on Saturday mornings at 9, You can also listen to these podcasts, and I encourage you to invite people, share it with people. It's just a way to connect with people, and for those of you who are new here, um, my name is Felicia, and I'm going to school to be a certified minister. I'm also going to school to be a nutritionist, and so I just use this as a way to reach out to people during the pandemic. So as we go along, if you all will just send me any prayer requests that you may have, you can message me privately or post them on the group page, but it's just a way for us all to connect and get comfortable knowing one another and just being there for one another. So without further ado, we will start with going over some of the things that we went over in our live meeting yesterday and some of the things that are going along with week one, days one, two, and three. And also, if you didn't have time to read or study or you don't have the book yet, that's fine. You can still listen and and learn a lot of things. So we're glad you're here, and I'm so thankful and blessed for this opportunity. So as we get started, the main surrender principles that the author talks about that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks are listed here, and they are as follows. Number one, I'm not in control of others or outcomes. Number two, I choose to live by faith, not rush to follow my feelings. Number three, I can always let go and give my problems to God. Number four, trusting God's promises will bless me, but pushing my plans will stress me. Number five, when fear tempts me to flee, fix, or force my way, I will choose to stop and pray. Number six, surrender is my only path to God's peace, power, and provision. So this week we have some memory verses. The first one is, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. James 1, 2, and 3. 
Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Matthew 4, 1. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Mark 1, 12-13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Luke 4, 1. So, I'd like for you, if you're listening and you're able, to grab pen and paper and write some things down as we go along our study today. The first thing I would like you to answer is, if you had a magic remote, what would you change, if anything, or anyone, with just one click? How would you use it? So, think of that this week. If you had a magic remote control that could change anything or anyone with just one click, how would you use it? Think about that and write it down. Exactly what are you stressed about? What are you worried about? What are some things that you would like to change? So, read Matthew 3, 13. Imagine yourself in John's shoes or as someone else who might have been watching that day. What do you imagine it must have been like to witness that moment? Spiritual mountaintop moments aren't proof of God's love or favor, but they are memorable moments that remind us of a time when we felt a special connection to God. Can you recall a spiritual mountaintop moment in your life? If you can't think of one, what is a favorite moment in your life? So day one is talking about waking up in the wilderness. So the first thing that we read about here and that we think about is what exactly is the wilderness? So we're going to read some verses and as you go along, write these down so you can read them on your own. But The first one we said was Matthew 3.13, talks about the wilderness, and Matthew 3.16 and 17. So the first question in your workbook says to draw a line to match each word from the left to the right. So here's the answers. Jesus was baptized, God descended like a dove, and the Holy Spirit spoke from heaven. So what does that say to you? What does that make you think? Consider the power of the moment. I would have loved to witness Jesus' baptism. What do you think? Would you have been amazed just to watch that? I think that would have, been, would have been a wonderful moment. So on the top of that, imagine seeing the Spirit of God descended like a dove, landing on Jesus' head, another holy moment. To top it all off, what would it have been like to hear God's voice from heaven express His delight in Jesus? In this moment, it seemed like everything in Jesus' life had come together. He'd taken a faithful step of obedience and experienced the immediate presence and loving affirmation of God. Spiritual mountaintop moments aren't the proof of God's love or favor, but they are memorable moments that remind us of a time when we felt a special connection to God. So can you recall that spiritual mountaintop moment in your life? If you can't think of a spiritual moment, list one or two of your favorite moments in your life. For me personally, getting saved and getting baptized, getting married, having my first child, all of those things were wonderful spiritual mountaintop moments for me. So Matthew 4 verse 1 says that Jesus was led up by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. So some examples of spiritual mountaintop moments. Feeling a connection to God for the first time. Realizing God loves you unconditionally, accepting Jesus into your heart, 
forgiving a long-standing hurt or offense, experiencing victory over a sin or a struggle, and seeing the answer to a prayer or witnessing a miracle. So in reading Mark chapter 1 verses 12 and 13, it says, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So, wow, what, what does that say to you? I mean, it's just crazy to think that, you know, even Jesus was tempted by the devil. So, what do you think the wilderness looks like? There's a spot in your workbook that says to draw a picture of what you think the wilderness might look like. I think the wilderness was a big wooded area with not a lot of resources, probably a lot of wild animals. So... What exactly is a spiritual wilderness? It may not necessarily be physical, right? But a spiritual wilderness can be characterized as a long-lasting situation that seems to hit the pause button in your life, a high-stakes situation where someone or something's future is at risk, a time where there are no quick fixes and you have little control over the timing or outcome, an experience of losing satisfaction or pleasure in one's pleasurable things, or a season when a circumstance is causing either emotional or spiritual confusion, or both. So, is there a time or has there been a time period in your life that fits the definition of a spiritual wilderness? If so, what were some of the circumstances that defined your wilderness season? As many of you know, I had open heart surgery, and so I've had a lot of health issues since then, and so I would say that that was my spiritual wilderness. I definitely was being tempted by the devil left and right, and I didn't think there was any way that I was going to get out of it. But there's always God. Luckily, He got me out of it. And that's the whole purpose of this study, is that we need to surrender and let God pull us out, because He's always there for us. So, who led Jesus into the wilderness? The answer would be the Holy Spirit. So, what stands out to you in that verse, Matthew 4.1? is that the Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness, right? I don't know about you, but I don't like change if it's going to make my life harder. In fact, I'll fight change at any time that it might come up. But Jesus went willingly. He went for a purpose, so that you and I could learn how to find hope and help in our wilderness seasons. So, how do you feel about change? I think that change can be good, but it can also be very scary. The book of James is traditionally attributed to Jesus' brother James, who wasn't a disciple until after Jesus' resurrection, and James was a leader in the Jerusalem church. So, what happens to our faith when we experience pressure from challenges and troubles? I would say that our faith definitely gets tested. What is the blessing that comes from being spiritually mature and well-developed or more like Christ? I would say that we get to bless others and we get to have eternal life and we get to have treasures when we get to heaven and of course many other things but those are just the ones that come to mind so here's a fill in the blank consider it pure joy blank this is where your name goes whenever you face blank this is where your issue goes that you're trying to get through because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance so fill that in And really let that sink in. So, day number two talks about trusting God's heart in hard times. So, no one lives in a mountaintop moment. Not even Jesus. 
In fact, right after Jesus is baptized, he experiences a dramatic change in circumstances. As the Holy Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness, the wilderness is a symbol of hardship and difficulty. You may have heard someone refer to a wilderness season or a period of time when life is hard or heartbreaking. When you're facing a wilderness or hard season, how do you tend to view God? When the Israelites were wandering in the desert and desperately needed food, God sent them manna. Providing for his people in the midst of their faithfulness, rebellion, and fear, God promises to take care of us too. But how often do we get anxious because we don't trust God's heart towards us? Jesus addresses this in the Sermon on the Mount. So try to read Matthew 6 verses 25 through 32. So here are some things we can think about when we're in the wilderness or in a hard season. Check all of the boxes that apply. 1. I see God as compassionate, helpful, and loving towards me. 2. I know that God loves me, but I often question whether or not He will give me the deepest desire of my heart. 3. I want to believe that God loves me, but a lot of things have happened to make me feel otherwise. 4. I am afraid that God will punish me for the mistakes I've made, so I don't even expect that God will want to bless me. So for me, I do see God as passionate and helpful and loving. I know that He loves me, but I do question whether or not He will give me the desires of my heart sometimes, and I am afraid that God might punish me for my past mistakes. So what are some situations when you tend to struggle to trust God? Think about that this week. So when reading Exodus chapter 16 verses 1 and 4, how long had the Israelites been in the wilderness? Well, they were in the wilderness for, it says, close to two months. What were the people complaining about? Well, they were complaining about being hungry. They didn't believe that the Lord would provide food for them. So in Exodus 16, 4 and 5, how did God say that he would provide food for the Israelites? Well, he says that he will provide them bread, or some translations say manna. How much were the people to gather on the sixth day? Twice as much as they gather daily. So the people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and toasted like wafers made with honey. Exodus chapter 16 verse 31. So wilderness insight number one. God takes care of all of his children at all times, including hard times. So Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 and 32. What are we told not to worry about? Well, it says here that we are not to worry about food or clothing or shelter or any of our necessities. And how can we know that we can trust God? And it says because he can provide for the birds. The birds have not a care in the world, but they are always provided for. Why does Jesus say that only non-believers worry about what they will eat and drink? I would say that it's because they have little faith. Why does Jesus say that worry about tomorrow isn't productive? I would say because tomorrow has enough worries of its own, right? In your life, how have you seen God taking care of and providing for you? No matter what season of life you are in, how is God taking care of you? He always provides. How does Jesus' teaching challenge your questions about whether or not God will provide for you or a loved one in a challenging situation? So, true or false questions. In Exodus chapter 16, verses 16 through 20, 
Here are the true and false. Verse 16, God instructed the people to gather three omers per person. That was false. He said to gather one omer per person. Number two, the Israelites followed God's directions in gathering the manna. That was true. Number three, Moses instructed the people not to keep the manna overnight. That was true. He said it would spoil. Number four, leftover manna ended up with maggots the next morning. That is true. Wilderness insight number two. God provides what you need for today. So Matthew verse six, chapter 6, verse 34 says, Don't be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Again, there's nothing wrong with having life insurance, savings accounts, or retirement funds. However, Jesus doesn't want us obsessing about what God has promised to provide. What are some of the bad outcomes or fears about tomorrow that you should stop worrying about? Finances, health, maybe the virus, our nation. Have some of your efforts been spoiled in the form of strained relationships or weakened health from stress or anxiety? Um, Yes, for sure. So looking again at that verse, what does Jesus say that worry about tomorrow or why does Jesus say that worry about tomorrow isn't productive? Because it has enough worries of its own and it takes up too much of our time and our energy and our health. So in Exodus chapter 16, verse 32, why does God want Moses to collect a jar of manna? Because it's a reminder of what the Lord has done and what the Lord has provided. Wilderness insight number three, the more you remember God's promises and provisions, the less afraid you need to be in the wilderness. So here are some verses. Jeremiah 29, 11 says God's plan for you are good, not evil. Jeremiah 31, 1, God is love. Philippians 4.19, God will supply all of your needs. And God gives you everything you need to live for Him. 1 John 4.8, God will always love you. So what are two takeaways from this study about God's heart towards you and whatever you're facing today? I would say, He always loves me and He's always there for me. So, how long does Jesus' teaching challenge your questions about whether or not God will provide for you or a loved one in a challenging situation? So, day three, five wilderness trials and three lessons. This day talks all about the book of Job. Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Here are some true-false questions. Number one, Job was described as blameless, blameless and upright. That was true. Number two, he had 12 sons and eight daughters. That was false. He had seven sons and three daughters. Number three, Job owned a lot of animals and was the most prosperous in the East. That was true. Number four, Satan wondered why God treated Job so badly. That was false. Satan really didn't care. Number five, God gave Satan permission to interfere in Job's life. That was true. And number six, Satan was allowed to kill Job. That was false. Job was still alive after all this went on. So reading Job chapter 1 verse 14 and 15, what does Job hear from messenger number one? That trouble was coming. This messenger brings news that we've labeled here the trial of trouble, which is upsetting or inconvenient problems in life that you can't fix. Job Job chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 says, What does Job hear from messengers number 2 and 3? The sheep and the servants were burned. There was a raid on the camels and the servants. 
So this is the trial of tragedy, which is painful circumstances arriving from sudden loss, death, disaster, or evil deeds. Job 1.19 says, what does Job hear from messenger number four? That a tornado hit his house and destroyed his family. This is called the tornado trial. Satan caused a great wind to come in from the wilderness and kill all of Job's children at once. That kind of loss is beyond comprehension. You may know what it's like to experience what we have labeled tornado trial, which is the emotional, relational, or financial collapse and devastation of the life that you once knew. After the dust settled, Job had to choose how he would live and deal with the swirl of thoughts and emotions inside him. This happens for us too. Every wilderness season includes a battle in which we must deal with chaotic thoughts and emotions. I have labeled this the trial of turmoil, which is our inner struggle for faith after suffering great pain and loss. So these are the four trials that happened to Job and that happened to us as well. There's one more trial and that's the trial of temptation. That will be studied on next week. So which of these trials fit your life right now? I would say for me, maybe trouble and turmoil. So what does Job do? Imagine stopping by Job's house on that awful day and watching as Job responds to devastating news. Job 1, 20 and 21. How does Job respond? He worshiped and he surrendered. Verse 21 says, Naked I come from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job tears off his clothes and grabs the ancient version of a razor to shave his head. He isn't afraid to show his grief in the face of devastating suffering. The author of the Gospel of Job offers this observation. Here we have a man who weeps publicly, who squirms, groans, shouts, beats his his breast, a man in crippling pain who nevertheless summons the presence of mind to engage in serious conversation. Just think for a moment about this sort of behavior and then consider the question. What sort of faith does such a man have regardless of what he says, regardless of all the doubts and confusion and anger that he gives? Vent to, in words, what is it that his actions indicate? So, trials teach us to worship God more. In Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6, how much of our hearts should trust God? All of it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. Trials can teach us to depend on ourselves less. In Jeremiah 17, 9, what is the truth about our hearts apart from God? It says, the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Romans twelve two, what must we allow God to do in our lives? Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what are some of the persistent spiritual battles or doubts about God that you have been fighting? In Romans 5 verses 3 through 5, underline the qualities that hard times produce in our lives. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, character, and hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So as you reflect on the three ways that God can use trials in your life for good, do any of these lessons stand out to you? John sixteen thirty three. It says to circle the word indicating what Jesus has promised to us. 
In me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus has promised us peace. So while there are all kinds of different trials we will face in life, these trials can teach us three important lessons. Trials teach us to worship God more, to depend on ourselves less, and they can teach us to become more like Christ. So do any of these lessons stand out to you today? So as this study this week comes to a close, I would like to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for everybody that was able to listen, and I pray that everybody can learn something from this wonderful Bible study. And we thank the author, who we give all the credit for, Miss Barb Bruce, for putting this on for us, and also for making the videos that go along. And we just pray, Lord, for each and every person who is struggling. Is there anybody who you can place on our hearts to pray for this week who is in the wilderness, Lord? We just pray that you would lead them to you, let them to surrender, and know that it will get better and that you are by our side. In Jesus' name, amen.